Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. My husband has recently started talking to an old friend of his again. He spent an hour on the phone with her last week and has been texting her nonstop since then, all day, first thing in the morning, last thing at night. I'm very uncomfortable with this because nudes of her, she has done professional modeling, were part of discovery. My husband says he cannot connect with men because of the nature of his trauma as a 10-year-old. He doesn't understand why I am... (laughs) why I have a problem with him talking to her. He says, I am just jealous and controlling. I want very much for him to have support, but every time I hear his phone ding, I see her naked and it's like a punch to the gut. What can I do? He has been in probation mandated therapy since August and I'm not sure it's a good fit, but they only give him so many options. Assuming the therapy is a, is any good, how long before this thing starts to improve? I believe he has been porn free for about a year and a quarter and alcohol free since August. Well, um, I have a word for what's going on in your marriage, and I wrote it down. One, two, three, four, five. It's five letters. And the word is abuse. This is incredibly abusive. And you may be someone, and we have a lot of spouses who can take an awful lot. I think you partners are really a strong bunch of people to be able to love us through a lot of pain. But sometimes your willingness to to hope we're going to get better and support us and and your best intentions doesn't mean that we're really doing the kinds of work that we need to do to heal you ourselves and our relationship. And I cannot imagine, Tammy, I'm going to be married 21 or together 21 years in on Valentine's day. We met about just before I, left. I can't, and you've been married probably longer than me. Can you imagine coming home and lying in bed next to your spouse and chatting up someone else you're having an affair with, with nude pictures So part of what I'm reacting to is that this is even something that you think you should negotiate and talk about at all. I would have the keys in the car, the car running, his suitcase in the trunk, and the locks changed. That's where I would be because this man does not deserve to live with you. And if he wants to get in recovery and really recover, whether that's therapy or treatment or 12-step, whatever he does, he's going to treat you with respect. And I would recommend, and by the way, what he's doing is so incredibly disrespectful. Now, there may be one thing he's kind of trying to do, which I know from my little uh, book of addict tricks, he may want to end your relationship. And I work with, you know, I told you that addicts and sex addicts in particular struggle with being assertive. We can be aggressive or furious, but actually saying what we need, understanding what we need and saying, hey, you know, that's not our best skill set at all. And sometimes when we feel like we might have a woman mad at us or upset with us, or we might deeply be disappointing her, we don't say a lot of the things that we need to say or should be saying, or we don't understand their reaction. So all I'm saying to you is it may well be as ridiculous as it sounds that your spouse doesn't have a clue how much that bothers you or how horrible that is or what an awful thing. I would suggest you stop in on some of the betrayed partners groups that we have, which are free. Okay. They're free. We have therapists who volunteer and listen to the other spouses and, and ask the question you just asked in a room full of women who've been betrayed by their husbands. And they will wrap your, they will say, come on over, honey, you stay at our house for six months. You have nothing to do with that guy. The most simple answer to your question is this is unacceptable behavior. 
do alcoholics get sober the first day or do they get still drunk sometimes? Maybe when they, sure, it could take someone a while. Would I recommend you leave your husband if he's alcoholic trying to get sober? No. Would I recommend you kick him out? No, unless he was abusing you. And this man is being abusive. Every time that picture comes out, that text, you're hearing a message. You're not enough. You're not important. I don't care how you feel. I'm going to do whatever the heck I want. So what I hear of in time, a lack of boundaries on your part, what you're willing to tolerate is not tolerable. You're asking about if he will get anywhere is not the issue. It's why would you want to sit there and lie there and see someone you care about it anyway, doing this incredibly violating, betraying thing at minimum, he needs another room to sleep in. And listen, what is the difference between if the woman was in the other bedroom having sex with him and he's going back and forth or he's chatting with her and looking at pictures? So my question to you is, why don't you just make it easier and invite the woman over and she can sleep in the other bedroom and then he can just go back and forth because that's really what he's doing to you. And if that sounded like a really absurd answer, then think about the fact that he's really doing that because analog digital, look, we're not together, but we're really connected. Um, I wouldn't want to sit and watch someone cheat right in front of me and not care at all about how I felt about it. I would, I would be at a lawyer's office. Yeah. It's a punch in the guy. And I thought every time it dings first thing in the morning, ding, last thing at night, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. And why I, doesn't he care? Because he's saying that she's jealous and controlling. And if he's only seeing a therapist once a week and it's some probation mandated therapy, you know, like that's probably, I don't, I don't know. There may be some CSATs that, you know, that are doing probation mandated therapy. I don't think so. But, but, it, you know, if he's not actively like, how do you get over being uncomfortable around men and confiding in them? You start doing it. You go to the, 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 Right. drop in groups for men, you know, you start, you know, be, Oh, my wife is really upset because I'm cheating on her nonstop every day. Like that's still cheating. So I, I don't hear recovery. I don't, I don't know what kind of meetings he's going to, but anybody who was at that meeting would, if they heard what he was, I mean, every time you go to a 12 step meeting, you have to, at the beginning say, you know, here I am. And oftentimes people say, let's do a little sobriety check-in. You have to go in the room. I've been sober two weeks. I've been sober. That man's not sober a single day. Every time he's texting, every time he's looking at those pictures, he's drinking. That's drinking. So it isn't, you know, you said, well, he hasn't had sex with anyone else. He's having sex in your bed with someone else. Even if he's in touching his genital, he's sharing pictures. He's talking to this woman. It's all the same. So how, my question for you is, how do you want to live your life? How do you want to be treated? And, uh, and maybe if he has been in prison or has some of those issues, maybe you're used to this man being abusive to you. But what he's doing it's clearly not okay. is it's not okay. And the other reason I didn't quite get to this, I was saying how we don't communicate clearly us addicts. Sometimes we act in ways to get rid of you. Like we really don't want to be married. And I've run to these guys. They really don't. They really want the spouse to go away. And so they do everything in the world to hurt them so that that person will finally say I'm done. And then they'll say it's their fault. They left me because they cannot stand behind the, I want to leave. But some people do enough stuff, even when it's, especially when it's really obvious like this, that they're saying something to you. And what they're saying is, I don't really care about you. And I'd actually prefer it if you leave and I could just be with her. And if it were me, I'd give him every opportunity to do just that. Okay. 
I recently contracted COVID from a sex worker. I've been seeing sex workers most of the time since we've been in the pandemic. How do I work through the shame of knowing I always put myself and others in danger because of my addiction? Well, I'm hoping this person is single and didn't bring COVID home to wife, kids, family, boyfriend, husband, girlfriend. I certainly have been talking to guys, Tammy, and we have recently who were just out doing what we've always done. It reminds me of HIV. You know, I was around back in those days and, and it was the sex addicts, to be honest with you, who, were, who would get infected. Not, I mean, because they'd be in the middle of something, they'd lose, they would just, they wouldn't care. They wouldn't be thinking the concept, they would just end up in it. And this reminds me of that. And I've had, on some of the consultations I do, I've had to say to a spouse, when did he do this? Well, he did it three months ago. Well, what about COVID? Oh yeah, I forgot. He could have infected all of us. Um, so I ha I, I'm particularly concerned about this. Um, one of the things I'd ask you is, have you uh, been examined for all STDs? When was the last time you went to a doctor? And are you aware, and most of the guys I work with aren't, that you can get STDs from oral sex. You can get chlamydia, you can get syphilis, you can get HPV. And so some of us think, well, if I've only used a condom or only had vaginal sex, it doesn't work or anal, it doesn't work that way. So one thing I would recommend you do, if nothing else for your health, if not to reduce your shame, is get to a really good doctor and make sure you're fully checked out. And that means for those of us who are acting out and if you're a man, you need to have someone look at your penis and see that it doesn't have any scars or cankers or marks or things you might not have noticed. It, you know, and so that'll be a good lesson that I want to act out. Um, at least it was for me. And let me say one more thing about shame. So how do I work out of the shame? Two things, number one, what do we say, Tammy? Um, you, something like you can't feel your way into health, but you can act your way into health. I wouldn't try to do anything to change my feelings. I would say, wow, this makes me feel really shitty. And I don't want to keep doing things that make me feel shitty. Because if you eliminate the crappy part, and I'm just fine with it, you're going to keep doing it. So let's say that it's a good thing that you feel bad about it. A good thing that it spins you into unhappiness. And use that as your motivation to do more getting well. Look, I, I don't think that any of us get this right away and we're cured and we're done, but the more you put into the work, the more 12-step meetings you go to, the more support groups, the more therapy that's useful, um, the faster this goes and the less and less you will act out. Uh, some people don't get it right away, but instead of acting out every week, they're acting out once a month or they're acting out every six weeks or, you know, it gets better if you work it. Um, anything else about that one, Tammy? No, I just, yeah, yeah. I mean, this to me feels like a, a really negative consequence. And if you're ready to stop having the shame, if you're ready to quit putting your health, you're putting your health at risk and everyone else's, but you know, you're putting your health at risk. So if you're really ready to get help, you know, reach out to me and I'll give you the best resources I can. We, we make sure everybody has a negative COVID test before they come to treatment. So, but well, eventually that, you we, we do yeah. a lot of, a lot of infection control. So, and, right. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, we can't come right do now. Do you know how not fun it is to do therapy with a mask on? Do you know how much I, I would love to see people's faces from here? Yeah. Are they smiling? I, I mean, you know, it is, but people, you know, would, but people are getting well and the work is going yes. on. So yes, um, we have to do anyway. what we need to do during, but this we all want us to get well. We all want this. Yes. To get. Yes. And, and, you know, and I, I, you know, I talk to people all the time. We just had alumni. Thank goodness. He, um, he reached out and I said, I'm going to quote it. Cause um, he said, plain and simple seeking integrity changed the trajectory of my life. And I thought, 
that's what recovery does is it changes the tra- trajectory right. of our lives. So we don't have to live in shame and crap all the time. So, but what okay. Tammy said is so important about that statement. It doesn't change our lives. It doesn't change who we are and it doesn't change. Uh, the only thing that changes is the direction. Are we moving toward this kind of health and these kind of connections or are we moving into what for us, some of us is darkness. Um, but the issues underneath, they're going to be there. I'll always be a little this, a little of that, but boy, the volume can get turned down on the big A, which is, I can be a real a-hole, which is most of us who are acting out, and boy, can the volume be turned down on that one if we really, really work at it. Um, there was something, I love that question. What else was there? Oh, I put it oh, in okay, the Why don't you just go ahead? Go ahead okay. and answer the next one. The next one. one is, what is the difference between hypersexuality and OCD obsessive compulsive disorder? Okay, so they're actually very different things. Hypersexuality is a description of something. It's like saying you have a green dress. You have a hypersexual husband. It just means this person likes to have a lot of sex. The opposite of that, by the way, is hyposexual, which is someone who doesn't like to have a lot of sex. You know, so, and this is a medical term. You know, people are, I don't know, hypo this and hyper that. Um, it simply means too much or too little, hyper or hypo. It doesn't, it's not a diagnosis. And so people who do a lot of, have a lot of sex, they're hypersexual, but that doesn't mean there's anything else wrong with them. It just means they like to have a lot of sex and good for them. Um, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, is a very broad mental health diagnosis that carries with it some criteria. And that, what's make it, that is what makes it a diagnosis rather than uh, a description. A description is they're hypersexual. A, a diagnosis is they're depressed and here are the five things that I need to look at to say that they're depressed. In, order, in other words, for me to say this person really has depression, here are the five things. That's a diagnosis. So OCD is a diagnosis that covers people who count ceiling tiles, who um, are afraid, you know, who are, do really repetitive things, wash their hands, uh, check the stove, you know, all that stuff. It can spill over into compulsive sexual behavior. But then they're more they have a compulsive sexual behavior disorder. And if you have a compulsive sexual behavior disorder known as sex addiction, guess what? You're going to be hypersexual. There are people who are hypersexual who are not sex addicts. Um, and every sex addict, when they're acting out, when we're the, in the height of our addiction, um, we are very obsessive and compulsive in our drive toward that. Um, just like I said, hyper, if you're hypersexual, it doesn't mean you have OCD. Well, if you have OCD, there's nothing to do with sex. Most people with OCD count ceiling tiles, worry about taking the same exit on the freeway, you know, want to check the stove, make sure they didn't leave it on. I mean, it's obsessiveness around things that make you anxious. Now, let me do one quick thing. This is a therapy talk. What's the difference between addictive behavior and compulsive behavior? Because... We talk about them in the same way, but technically they're not the same. So someone with obsessive compulsive disorder does things over and over again to relieve anxiety. But what the obsessive compulsive person does over and over again is generally not pleasurable. So people of OCD are washing their hands, they're checking the stove, they're counting. They do it to make themselves feel better and it's very driven and obsessive but it doesn't produce pleasure. It produces a reduction of anxiety for a few minutes until they get anxious, they have to check it again, whatever that is. Addiction is repetitive, problematic behavior that you're doing the same thing over and over again in a very compulsive way, but you enjoy it. 
So compulsive gambling, compulsive spending, compulsive sex, it is a repetitive behavior that is used to manage feelings that it isn't meant to manage, but that's what you're using it for. But the difference in compulsion and addiction is addiction's fun. And addiction is something that we really enjoy and we can't wake it back to and we get excited about. And that's part of what makes it so difficult to get away from. Compulsions are easier to get away from because once you put someone on medication, it's not like they want to count the ceiling tiles. It's not like we want to check our hands under hot water. So once you turn that volume down on their obsessiveness, it gets better. But we want to have sex. We want to eat. You know, So really, it's a, it's a very definitive difference between a, a very clear mental health disorder um, that covers a variety of compulsions, most of them not having to do with pleasure, and someone who enjoys having a lot of sex is the difference between those two. I want to say with addiction, it's like perceived fun or we're chasing the fun that we oh. had that one time. It isn't always fun because it, it, like we think we're going to have fun. We perceive it's fun. I agree the difference between the counting the ceiling tiles, whatever. But, you know, like a lot of my addiction was chasing the fun I wanted to have. So, but it had to quit being fun. So I want to clarify that um, addicts chase the I we chase fantasies that seem like they're going to be really fun and really exciting. They may or may not, but we are use those fantasies and use those ideas to disappear into the excitement of the fun that we think we're going to have. Thank People you. OCD just, they're afraid of what they're feeling and they feel like they have to do this to be less afraid. There's no fun involved. There's no excitement involved. There's no fantasy. They just go do this because they can't help themselves. Thank you. That's helpful. Okay. Thank you, Tammy. <laughs> Um, next question. My husband has also become paranoid and is collecting evidence to use against me because he's obsessed that I'm going to do something legally to him. Is it addict's behavior to become paranoid and get evidence against the spouse? Tammy, why don't you start? I've heard of this and um, it also feels like, you know, the push me, pull you. I'm going to, you know, I'm worried about what you're doing and everything else, which, which takes the focus off of me too. Um, uh, because you, you're, you're going to do this. So I have to be ahead of you. And, um, but you well, know, you also, have way I, more experience. So go ahead. I want to add that because I want to definitely say what you're saying. It's like, I don't, I don't have a problem. You have a problem. And as long as I can keep you the focus of the problem, then I don't have to really look at myself. I'm sorry, Tammy, please continue. No, it's, and he, the paranoia. Well, I mean, we, we've worked with a lot of people who are, you know, have issues beyond the addiction. So I'm, you know, I, I don't oh. hear that he's in, in any kind of recovery. Um, and I do think that people um, can really struggle with some of those issues and also have an addiction. So you would be well, better first at this. And to that point, um, I don't know, I've never met this person, but if you think your husband's mentally unwell, take him to therapy. I mean, you may not be an expert in paranoia. I, I don't know that I'm an expert in paranoia, but somebody is. And, you know, and I'm talking about someone who not just a, I mean, you might take him to a psychologist or someone who understands the testing piece, but uh, rather than jumping to, well, this is happening with a sexual issue. So therefore it could be Maybe that, you know, the way he was acting out sexually, which happens sometimes, kept the paranoia away because he had emotional issues or psychiatric issues. But to be honest, what is paranoia? I mean, I've heard a lot of men say, oh, my God, she's going to take this. She's going to take I'm going to take me to the cleaners, blah, blah, blah. But they're not collecting things to build a case. So that just sounds really, tell you what, it feels uncomfortable to me. 
And I would want to go see a professional and ask if my husband would come with me. And in front of that professional, I'd say, you know, these things are going that I feel uncomfortable. I I know about the sex addiction. I can handle that. But this, um, because I think it requires professional help. Yeah, I do too. It feels like there's more there. So, okay. 12 step meetings are for the um, sex addicts. Um, Also help us betrayed wives. Um, well, sometimes any program or book that can help me move on after 37 years of marriage and one year separation, he won't get out. So I decided to separate. So he won't I, get I, out. I, yeah. Well, he won't get out of the addiction. So this is what I read. So why don't you start? I mean, I have some thoughts about that, but so, so there, you know, we do lots of drop-in groups. Um, we've got four betrayed partner drop-in groups every week on sex and relationship Obviously, you know, go to any and all of those. Um, you're here. That's, that's great. And, you know, I don't think any book is, I mean, there are books that are helpful. Um, I put a link in for the super Saturday recovery summit um, videos. Uh, Sophia Cottle did one on grief. There's a grief support group on, on uh, in the rooms.com. Dr. Rob does his Friday night group there every, every Friday night at 6 PM Pacific time. But there are, there are resources about that. It's grief. You know, you're going to, you're going to be doing grieving. Um, um, but support by other partners, it, you know, is helpful. Mm-hmm. Now there are like S and, you know, CODA and things like that take what you need and leave the rest if you find support and comfort there. Um, but you know, we do everything from a pro dependent lens, meaning, you know, we don't blame you. You, you aren't the reason, you know, he's got an addiction and he's not willing to do something to, to repair the relationship. So that's on him. That's not your fault. So thoughts. And, and, and I, I agree. I think, for example, we have a group, uh, um, a free group online called the old ladies posse. And this was a group of women who got together and said, we are over a certain age and our kids are grown and gone and we're heterosexual marriages and our husbands, we've just found out about this, but we're 60 or we're 55. Those women came to us and said, we want our own support group. We found a therapist to oversee and run it and, you know, free volunteer. And I think it's in a place like that. If, the, if you were that age and that finding people who are so close, I mean, Tammy's right. You're it's grief issue. It almost doesn't matter. I think for a lot of you partners, when we do what we do, it's almost like we've died anyway, because what you knew, what you had, what you believed in the foundation that we share, that's all gone. And I think it, we say the betrayal trauma is akin to a death. And I think it kind of is. So I would be very gentle and loving with yourself about dealing with the separation. Um, I don't think you just have to do it in terms of a betrayal or an addiction perspective. I would be looking at, you know, what happens when long-term relationships end? You know, what happens, and by the way, did she say 37 years? Yes. Right. So that's a lifetime. Um, It will take um, at least three or four years for you to not actively be grieving this because you've probably spent your whole adult life with this person. And by the way, I want to say, and I wanted to say that when I started this, um, it makes me deeply sad to hear that a couple who, who was able to make it work that long wasn't able to continue and I understand that some people are not right for each other. And I understand that some people are just tolerating each other for years. And, um, but if there's goodness, if there's, if they came, if the relationship has a soul and it started with that and it's still going on, there is nothing like being with someone that you've known that long. You know, Tammy knows this. I've been with someone for 21 years, but that was at 40. I wish we'd been together at 20, but I didn't have the skill set or the ability to be with someone at 20. So, um, 
anyway, I really feel for your pain. I can't imagine what it would be like to lose your best friend, your long-term partner, your, the, you know, and by the way, people walk around. I noticed this cause I do this now. I'm like, I've been married 20 years. You know, there's some pride in that. I think I don't, I don't do you get that Tammy? I would say j- yeah. junkie pride, but it's really marry pride. Yeah. And well, uh, it's, it's a commitment. So, and to say, you know, that that's lost or gone, I think is, is, it's just a huge grief issue. And, uh, even in the best of circumstances. So I would think about it like he had passed away and live your healing in that way, because it is that depth of loss. And thank goodness he hasn't. And I'm going to add, because somebody, thank you um, to the person who posted, but the old lady posse is not just for hetero, heterosexual um, couples. Oh. It is, yeah, no, they're, they're, you know, so it, that does not matter. Partners. It is all females. Partners. It's, yes, it's all females, um, but they're, they, you know, male or female partner doesn't matter. Okay, next question, and I think it'll be our last. Okay, what and then I want to say team? something. Okay, do I say it right now? Okay. No, I'll be done. Okay. Working with a CSAT partner here, um, just got restitution letter, January 4th impact letter was delivered May of 2019. Oh my gosh. I find my husband still not able to accept himself, accept who he is and be accountable in the moment when I'm triggered by whatever it may be at the time. I see this as non-empathetic, not able to talk, not willing to sit in despair when I am triggered and to be said, my question is this, what has happened to me with betrayal, coworkers, strip clubs, prostitutes, porn, over mm, over 30 years married. Those thoughts hurt me. I don't see forgiveness, but I do see acceptance if he can, in fact, change. Can he change? Can I truly be happy again um, uh, I don't. if I don't forgive him? I feel like a beaten spouse who keeps coming back for more abuse. Well, I didn't hear the part about um, it sounded to me like this spouse, the, the, the attic was starting to get it together. I mean, is that sort of what I, the impact was letter, delivered an, and, yeah, but it was May till January for, you know, like so this is a slow the restitution. Yes. It's been painfully so, slow. So, so, but nonetheless, um, so I, I don't, I don't think it's the right answer for you because this has been worked on for, so I'm going to assume your, your spouse has been in therapy since 2019 or been working on this. Um, a lot of you guys ask, and I'm going to say this, the words aren't going to be nice. So if I use a nasty word, please know that. But many of you spouses, and I completely understand this, you don't want us to just stop the behavior and work on ourselves. You want us to be better people. You want us to be kinder, more empathic, more loving, more nurturing, thinking of you more often. And in fact, many of you feel like you deserve that. And I think you do too. After what you've been through and what we've put you through, you deserve more loving, more support, more nurturing, more empathy, more compassion. It's just that not all of us are ready to know how to give it. And I'm not trying to defend your spouse. I'm just saying that it can take us, well, it took me a long time to be a decent human being, probably a couple of years in therapy. I stopped the behavior, but learning how to negotiate relationships, learning how to build connection, learning how to love. I mean, those things, learning how to treat people I love with respect, that took time. And so I would ask you to, you know, let your spouse be aware. There are some things going on I'm not happy with, and I really would like to see you work on them. Um, I don't want to say about that. Um, I also, I would say, give him out of the doghouse. I wrote this book for men who don't understand how to heal the wound of betrayal in their spouses. It is the, I'm sell, it's the best-selling book I have. And I've written 10 because so many men want to understand how do I ever make this better? I'm so ashamed. How will they ever forgive me? And, and that's what it's about. 
Um, and so if you give him a path toward here are the things I need and here are the things, it might become less, re he might become less reactive. Um, one thing that came up for me, Tammy, depression. You know, sometimes after people stop their behavior, um, there can be a lot of underlying emotional and, and mental health issues that have not been addressed. So it could be that. Um, because what she said is he's not accepting himself. He's not, first of all, one more thing. You say he's not accountable in the moment to what's going on. None of us are. We are afraid of you, okay? We are afraid of you. And uh, we are afraid mostly that you're going to react badly to us. So nine times out of 10, if you say to me, did you do this? Um, and I'm talking at me, but in early recovery, we're going to lie. <laughs> like, no, I didn't do that. Don't get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. So uh, here's what I would suggest is that if our first reaction is to lie, I used to have a rule with my therapist. If I lie to you, I will come back within 24 hours and I will tell you the truth. And I used to have a, that rule in my relationships. It means that in the moment under pressure, when this person is really upset, I may not be able to say my truth. But after I've thought about it a little while, I've talked to some support people, I can go back to you and say, hey, I wasn't being entirely honest. And I think just having that takes the shame out of it for me, because I might lie, but I can clean it up. And it makes it easier on you to say, well, I'm not sure if I heard the truth or not, but I'll know in a day. And uh, so there's little tricks to the trade that can make this better. But I don't think they're that off target, Tammy, reading that question. Um, you know, he I just shut feel, down. Yeah, but but I what I hear is um, he has out of the doghouse. She gave it to him in October of 2019. So that's a year plus ago. So, you know, so I mean, it's just taking a long time. But what I also hear is he's in therapy. That's all I hear. I don't hear. I mean, is he on this with you? I hope. But if you know, I mean, if if he's only going to one fifty minute session a week with a therapist, you know, you're talking about stuff that is you know decades old, and yeah, it, it's really hard to get into that decades old stuff in a fifty minute session where you talk about what just happened this last week, you know. So so that's the challenge. Oh, four to five twelve step meetings. See, I think there's that's helpful. Yeah, yeah. I think there's so, underlying. She mental says health maybe depression. So so yeah, getting, there's something get, going get on more, that is yeah. This is a mental health issue. I mean, he's going to four or five meetings a week. Let me just make my little quick announcement I wanted everybody Please. to hear, which is you may hear me or Tammy talk about our treatment program. You may hear me or Tammy talk about the courses we do online and all of that. And are we selling you something? You bet. We are selling you something. Not only because it's amazing, and I think at this point in our work, we're doing pretty darn good work, but also I want you guys to know that this is free. Not all of you will ever afford ter therapy or treatment, but if a couple of you because you want the help and we can offer, go to our treatment center. It pays for everybody else to get all the groups, all the pie, everything is free. So are we commercial venture and do we make money doing what we're doing, helping people? Absolutely, we all need a paycheck, but we do pay it forward by making all this stuff available for free, drop-in groups. But you may hear us mention our products in that process. And I just want you to know there's a reason, which is number one, we want to stay in business and not give everything away. And we're quite busy, actually, I will say. But I don't want people to feel like we're selling them something. I mean, we are, but we are trying to give away as much as possible and give reasonable answers. Um, my belief is if you can make 85% of your living giving stuff away and 15% of it pays for that, I'm all in. I love giving away as much as we can. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.